All right, welcome into the Austin Audible's podcast post game edition. And boy, Eric, whew, this might be the best. But look, this rivalry game it's starting to turn into instant classics because last year, at least from an Oregon perspective, mm-hmm. last year walk off winner in overtime, thirty to twenty seven at home, and then Austin uh, and then Oregon comes back this year to to Seattle. A game in which, look, we were preparing for lightning, we were preparing for thunder, you know, rain going down sideways, torrential downpours, monsoons. It was supposed to be a nasty game from a weather perspective, and we were dealt a hand that was perfect. Perfect setting of college football outside of the first quarter, first five minutes of the first quarter when it was sprinkling. Um, and yep. boy, we got an epic football game. We got, I wrote about it on the site on duckterritory.com, a signature win for Mario Cristobal, a signature win for Justin Herbert, a signature win for Marcus Arroyo. And I think most importantly for those last two. And yeah. we, we see a game in which Oregon wins 35-31 over a ranked Washington opponent. They now have a winning streak over the Huskies. They've won two in a row. They've won 15 or 14 of the last 16 meetings between these two programs and this Washington, this Oregon program, after winning 35-31 in the manner that they did, they are by and far the Pac-12 favorite in the North, and it's going to be extremely difficult. And that's its own story, but then what we saw out of this team in itself today on the road is another story on its own. I don't even know where to start, Matt, because you jumped all over the place. It's not even your fault, but there's so <laughs> there's much, so much. To, to, to go over. I mean, it's like, yeah, the, the Pac-12 North, I think I saw a graphic that Oregon has a 99.8% chance of winning the North, and we're not even technically halfway through the Pac-12 slate for Oregon. We're not even, like, basically mid-October right now, and they're in that spot. And then, yeah, I mean, this game... Um, at halftime, I was sort of I wasn't sure what we were going to see in the second half from Oregon. This is by far the worst his defense has looked. I asked you at halftime, were they going to win or lose? I asked four. There was four of us, and I said my gut said they were going to lose. And it was two I, to two. I said they would win. You said they'd lose. Uh, and then two other reporters in, in the press box that were good friends. Let's, with. Name, let's name names. Tyson said they'd win, and Hayden Herrera said they thought they'd win. Yeah, so let's just name names because we're split. jerks that way. We're but just it, like doing that. But it was split 2-2. Two, two. Yeah. I mean, Oregon was trailing 21-14 at the half. And I'll say I was trying to re- reverse or, jinx it to make to cover for myself, but I really, <laughs> but really, I, really, I genuinely wasn't sure what we'd see because Oregon was really challenged, and you know, you come into the game, Oregon allowed four touchdowns all season, one in the last five games. Washington scores three first half touchdowns. Some of them pretty easy. Some of them they kind of just breezed right down the field. Um, and the first drive they didn't, they took Oregon kind of really forced them. I think they had to convert two fourth downs. But the next two touchdowns was just boom, 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 right down the field. A couple big plays from Easton in the passing game. We should mention he was pretty lights out for Washington. And then to start the second half, it was the same thing. They came right down the field. They scored so easily that I'm kind of going like, this might get really away from Oregon. And yeah. Oregon's down 28-14. But the response was was huge, and that's what you need to see from this team. Oregon finishes the game on a 21 to three run. Um, they take the the go ahead touchdown with five minutes to go um, on Jalen Red's second touchdown of the game. We should mention he's been unbelievable, unbelievable. Eight touchdowns um, in the last six games for Jalen Red, who who really has become in a weird way they're like red zone guy, which is weird because he's five foot eight. But they utilize him around. They're both his touchdowns today. Um, came inside the red zone. The first was a 16-yarder. The second was a, a five-yarder. Similar play design to a play we saw a year ago um, in this game uh, where Red scored as well. So 
again, uh, great to see that from from him. And then the defense, which, like we said, had struggled at times, they stiffened up. And they, I think it was three three and outs in the second half. They allowed just two first downs in the fourth quarter. Yeah, in that fourth quarter, Washington moved it down the field. Oregon finally got a sack on, on Jacob Eason. It took until about, what, two and a half minutes left yep. in the game to finally get a sack football. I'm they got to him. But um, Oregon's defense stiffened up. And uh, Mikhail Wright, who was in for Diamante Lenore, who missed – one of the last three quarters of the game with, I'm going to speculate here, but it looked like maybe it was a concussion. We'll get more word on that on, on Monday. But uh, Mikhail Wright deflects the pass, breaks it up, and the game is over. Um, and Oregon gets out of Seattle with the 35-31 win in a game where I think a lot of people, like myself, were... There was doubt. Was, you had some legitimate doubt for the first time pretty much since the Auburn game, I think. I mean, this is the game played out exactly how every other big game historically has played out for Oregon under the Mario Cristobal era. The the team comes out playing really good. The offense's scripted plays works really well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then once the other team gets a, you know, a couple series of, okay, this is what they're doing, we're going to do this, we're going to counter that, we're going to throw this in there and throw things up, Oregon's offense, for whatever reason, and, and they don't adjust. Mm-hmm. Or it takes them a really long time. To adjust, and today Cristobal even admitted that he said that they were doing. They threw an odd front after, so Oregon drove the field. Uh, I think it was a, a twelve-play, yeah. seventy-five-yard drive, five minutes off the clock, and they just looked perfect like, start. Yeah, they looked like they were going to just steamroll the Huskies the way they played, and then the Ducks got a stop on defense. They got the ball back, and you're like, here we go. They're, they are. They're going to. How good they looked in the first series, they're not, the first possession, they're not going to look bad again. And the next thing you knew, three straight three and outs. They had a, uh, another play, I think, had five total plays. They had 20 yards of total offense, or I think 18 plays. Something like that. It was bad. Uh, it was it's really, bad. really bad football. And Cristobal even admitted after the game that he was being a little stubborn and that Washington changed up their front. They went from even to odd. And they had some backside issue blocking and, and whatnot. And Cristobal said he was a little stubborn. He admitted that. He, he kept trying to run what was previously working against something that was different, and it clearly wasn't. And then he, cre- he gave a lot of credit to Marcus Arroyo, saying up top in the booth they, they saw some things. They moved a couple stuff around. They changed some personnel groupings. They changed some of the kind of play calling that they were operating under. And next thing you knew... This offense just caught on fire. I mean, literally, they were stopped one time because in the second half, in the first, in the second quarter, they scored a touchdown uh, to make it twenty-one or fourteen twenty-one, and then they got the ball back, and the Huskies or the Ducks had an opportunity to go down the field. They didn't have any timeouts, and literally, the only thing that stopped them was the clock. They didn't have timeouts, and they couldn't they couldn't run off a play quick enough. Before the clock expired, halftime, the Dutch are trailing 21-14. UW comes out to get the ball in the third quarter to start the game. They score real quick, four plays, 75 yards, touchdown, 28-14. And at that point, I think that's when doubt crept in. Oh, yeah. Like, this team's not going to adjust. The the big game, big stage opportunity, they're just they're going to see an opportunity of winning this game go away. And what happened? They all of a sudden just caught on fire. Things clicked. The Ducks made adjustments, and the Ducks drove the field. Ten plays, 79 yards on their first series in the, in the third quarter for a touchdown, 28-21. Uh, they held 
Washington to a field goal, 31-21. Uh, and then the Oregon's next drive, 10 plays, 75 yards, another touchdown for the, to get them now within three points. And I thought when they got the ball back a third time in the third and then the third quarter and they didn't score, or excuse me, the fourth, the fourth yeah, the third fourth. time in the second half, early fourth quarter, and they didn't score, I felt like they're going to lose. They're not going to be able to hold off the Huskies another time and still find a way to, to, to score and hold them off again. Well, they held them off. They got the ball back. I think it was a three and out or, yep, or something. It was for, a three and out, six yards gained. For, for UW. And then Oregon goes right down the field again with an eight-play, 70-yard drive. And look, credit is where credit is, needs to be due. And that needs to go to Marcus Arroyo because mm-hmm. outside of about four series and this four possessions in this football game, he called an amazing football game. And the game winner came off of a play that – yeah. You go compare it to UW last year, and it's the exact same play. And I asked Cristobal that, and he said the great thing about what they've been able to do and they've been able to install in Marcus Arroyo's play calling is they've got overlap, and they've got they've got an entirely different play that looks exactly like another play. And that's what we saw uh, tonight or this afternoon at, at Husky Stadium. They ran the they ran Jalen Red across the face of Justin Herbert. Herbert read the defense, pulled out the ball instead of handing it to Cyrus Abilakio on third and two at the five, and quickly rifled the ball out into the flat for Jalen Red, who said he knew he was going to score because it was two-on-two. Two. He was the third guy. He just had to just catch the ball and get upfield, and that's what he did. They won the game, and they walked off with a victory that's, quite honestly, the best showing we've seen offensively all year from, from Oregon. Absolutely, because this is a great Washington defense, and we should say, and I, I think O'Reilly deserves a ton of credit, like you said, for how he called the game, and, and the, the, the touchdown that brought it to three points um, Michael Pittman's first touchdown of the game, which, by the way, I think that was a bold prediction for both of us. Yeah. He was going to score a touchdown in this game, and he did. Um, was a repeat of the play that they, they used, I think it was against, was it against Cal a couple weeks ago, no. where they had red come in motion? This one came from 36 yards out, also goes for a touchdown. There are, there are these little wrinkles we're seeing throughout the season. There are these plays that you, you kind of see Arroyo starting to lean upon, and they seem to be working basically every time. Um, we obviously we, in past weeks we'd seen you know the the pump fake the underneath route tight end comes up over the top for the touchdown to Jacob Reilly a couple times we saw Campmeyer had a chance to catch one last week as well um, there are just these kind of these different looks that we're seeing starting to kind of see familiarity from Oregon yep. and like you said also the good thing is that they're then building off of them kind of doing small tweaks that the defense thinks oh here's that money play we've seen over yes. the last couple of weeks here's a slight alteration the ball goes to a different guy exactly. and that person is is successful. And that's look. That's coaching. And the reality is this: if, if you're a Duck fan and you're critical of this offense and the play calling and the play caller mm-hmm. and the guys executing the plays, you have to be in a positive way critical and, and on top of this team the way they played today. Because this was a game in which all year the, the narrative was starting to be shaped that this is a team that they are going to be a defensive first team. They are going to rely on the defense. They're going to win football games 21 to 3, 24 to 7. You know, those type of games like hey, just score 20 points and we'll we'll get the win for you is what basically the defense is saying. And this was a game in which Oregon could not really contain the Huskies at all for two and a half, three quarters of football. Um the Huskies Put up huge numbers on first down, which yeah. is, I mean, you look at some of these numbers. I, I hope I have this pulled up really quickly here, but you look at some of the the ways and the that Washington was moving the ball on first down. I mean, they had is, yeah. they had twenty eight first down plays, and they averaged 
7.6 yards per play on first down. That's incredible. I mean, I mean you do that. That's you, incredible. You tell Chris Peterson, hey, against this Oregon defense, you're going to average 7.6 yards per play on first down. He's probably going to say, we win by three touchdowns. And, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's how prolific they were offensively. And Oregon's offense finally rose up when – I mean, Herbert said it today after, after postgame that they can't always just rely on the defense – Every single game because God, they're human. They're going to have off games. And this was one of those times. And the offense, for the first time all year, was there to pick them up and basically shoulder the load, essentially, to get this victory done. But at the same time, when they needed to make a play defensively, they did it. I just did like an emphatic finger point to Matt because <laughs> that was exactly what I was going to say. But then when the, when the defense was needed, late in that fourth quarter in particular – they stepped up, and I think we should mention a couple guys that, that had big moments. So I think Popo Amave, I mentioned it earlier, had a critical sack. Yep. And Mikhail Wright, who was first sack of the game, first sack of the game, which was crazy because Oregon has gotten so much pressure all season. That was actually the first sack or quarterback hit of the entire game. Easton had basically had a clean pocket for most of the game. That was one of the kind of the more perplexing things is how Oregon just didn't find a way to manufacture any pressure on Easton until that point. That was huge. Another big play was Mikhail Wright coming in for Diamond Lenore and, and breaking up the final play. Um, of the game, that was a big pass breakup from from the true freshman. So, a couple guys you have to be happy for on your right. I think the thing that stands out is that the offense carries the torch when they needed to get the lead back, and the defense is able to step up and say, "Hey, we've got your back." And you give them, a, you know, you give them an opportunity to protect a lead, yep. and they did it. And I think you have to come away from this game feeling really happy, just with the push pull of this. It was not the best defensive game of the season. I think this. I agree with you. I think this was the best offensive game of the season, just considering the caliber of defense they're facing. But um, a marquee win, a, a win that sets them up really well for the rest of the season. A couple other things I want to talk about. Cyrus Abibilikio comes in, and last year he was basically the touchdown vulture, right? He had yes. seven touchdowns on 18 carries. Basically every single touch he had all season came within like the five yard line. Now you did probably, I don't have the exact numbers, but I bet he had like three or four of those 18 that were outside of the 10 yard line, outside the red zone. Today, 14 carries in the second half, 81 yards, scores a touchdown to cut it. I think that was a touchdown to cut it to three points. Yeah, no, cut yep. it to seven. But either way, he was critical on almost every drive in that second half and CJ Verdell was out. He was nicked up, but not serious, according to, to Cristobal. But Hibibilico stepped in and I thought played tremendously. Kind of brought that power element. Also showed some shiftiness and made some guys miss. Had a great cutback on a run. Hurled the guy later on in the game. Kind of showed the whole package. And you come out of this game going like, I think all season we felt like it was kind of the Verdell die show. Like Hibibilico is making a case for himself to potentially be the starter. The starter. I mean, I mean, I, I, he was bowling over dudes. He was playing in, great in the, in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and he had that hurdle. As I said, yeah, he had that one too. And I, I, I go into it going like, I don't know exactly how you want to break down these rushing numbers. And I'm sure Verdell, who ran pretty effectively in the first half, 11 carries for 48 yards. That's not a bad half. You, if he you know, rep- replicated that in the second, he'd almost have 100 yards rushing. But I thought if he could lead kill with 81 second half yards on the ground, that one touchdown, he's a guy you're going to have to you're going to have to play him going forward. I don't think there's any question. He, you're going to have to find ways to get him involved in the offense. And who knows? This could be a deal where. Maybe he becomes kind of the bell cow back, and maybe yep. when they in, in these situations where they're in the second half and they're kind of wearing down the defense, you bring him in there and you just pound the rock with him because he showed a different element tonight, and and I think really proved kind of his role on this on this offense because that first half they didn't run the ball that effectively. They, they, they struggled at times. I think they had what about sixty yards on the ground, and then the second half 
Actually, they figure than, things out. They had less than that. Let me pull up the stats here in the first half really quickly. At half, yeah, they only had, um, boy, uh, this is, what was it? 46 yards on the ground in the first half. And a lot of that came from, I think, on at least half of that came on the first drive. Yeah, a lot of that came on the first drive. And then you see the second half, they come out and they run for over 100 yards, and the BB League kid deserves a ton of credit. Calvin Throgmorton said something that was really interesting that I thought was cool about Cyrus Abilakio and that he said that, yeah, he ran hard and, and he got some first downs, but he absolutely destroyed some Washington guys. Or maybe it was Shane Lemmy, one of those two. I can't remember who's, who's one of the two offensive linemen. Gave a ton of credit to Cyrus about his run block, his pass blocking, and how he was able to really protect Justin Herbert in the second half and give him the time that he needed to throw the football and find guys that were wide open. And that has to be taken into account because you, ha- if, when you play for for Oregon and that running back, Jim Masher, the running backs coach, has two requirements. And he doesn't care. I mean, he cares. But the two most requirements for him, he said, are, A, you don't fumble the football. And then, B, you have to be able to protect Justin Herbert or whoever is at quarterback. Right. Because if you can't, you can't play. And I think Cyrus was really, really good today uh, in, in pass protection on top of his run game. And then you also need to give credit to Travis Dye, I, yeah. th- I think, because – Look, Verdell went. Something happened to Verdell. Like you said, Chris Verdell said he got mixed up. We'll but happens. we didn't see him. I don't think really at all in no, the third I quarter. In the and half. I don't have the stats in front of me. Real quick, let's see if I can find it. For yeah, the first half. Guy had six carries for forty-seven yards in the second half. And, and, the, and then in the first half, he barely. Yeah, he didn't even have a single carry. Yeah. And he didn't have a single receiving yard either. I don't think uh, reception. I don't think he was even targeted in that football game. And. Yet he finishes with a very solid game of eight carries, 51 yards. He had a 21-yarder, and he was secure with the football. 21-yarder was critical on the, t- the go-ahead touchdown. Yeah, he almost scored. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he he had that one plant and cut move. Mm-hmm. So I, I think your two backup running backs, and Cyrus Avila Keel obviously is the, the big one today. But then Travis Dye, his play and his performance, he made clutch plays down the stretch as well. Uh, offensively, I was very impressed. Uh, with Johnny Johnson, I was as, usual, say, we as, talk about him, yeah. as usual, five catches for 90 yards. Jalen Red continues to just put up touchdowns. I mean, six straight games now he scored a touchdown. What was his total? Eight, eight, eight and six games. Eight, awesome. Eight and six games, and you're gonna—I know you're gonna nerd out over this and stats. Of, oh yeah. Of finding out how many receivers over a six-game period have eight touchdowns. Uh, I imagine there's not going to be a lot that fit that that mentality of, of a stat. And then you also look at two freshmen. That made really big plays for Oregon. One, Spencer Webb caught a the first touchdown pass of the game from Justin Herbert. He also had a really good conversion. I think he was on third down, third down catch yeah. uh, on a jump pass essentially from from Justin Herbert to extend the drive in the second quarter for a, for a score, or maybe it was the third quarter, third quarter. Yeah, uh, and, and they scored on that drive. And then you have Micah Pittman. He scored his first career touchdown, two catches, 48 yards, one of which being a 36-yard touchdown pass on a screen play on fourth and three. Ballsy call. Ballsy call we for should, a touchdown. We, we should mention that. Um, Arroyos and Cristobal are super conservative, and they took a lot of risks. I, I forget which drive it was. I think it was the drive where Cyrus ended up scoring to make it 28-21, where they went for it on fourth and one at their own 30-yard line. And if they don't convert there... Let's be honest, like you're handing Washington points. Yep. Because Washington starts the ball like with their kicker, within field goal range. They yeah, could kick a field kicker. goal right there if they, they wanted to. So that was I thought that was a turning point kind of play in the game there. If if they punt it there, 
who knows? Washington gets the ball back up two scores. They have a chance to come down and make it a three-score game. Yikes. Instead, that we, they converted there. I think it was a Cyrus run up the middle. I'd have to go back and find it. Um, and, and they end up coming down and, and scoring and, and making it a, a one-score game again. And that was pivotal. And I thought you have to be happy, especially in that second half, with, the, again, the play calling from Arroyo. And then also... They were they were pretty ballsy out there. You know, yeah. I mean, we we've been critical at the time and, and take risks, be aggressive, yeah. take shots. And they did it. They did it in, in, in a big moment in a big game. They did it, and I think you have to be really happy with just kind of what you saw from not only the players today, but but also the coaching staff. All right, let's real quick let's wrap things up here with yeah. some big picture talk. Um, this win almost ensures that Oregon is going to win the Pac-12 North. It, it's not mathematically. Pot, impossible yet for them to lose the North, but they're currently 4-0 in conference play. The Beavers are 2-2. Two and two, Beavers are in second place. Which is weird. And they, <laughs> they, they won today. They beat Cal. Yeah. Stanford is 2-3. and three. Washington is 2-3. and three. California is 1-3. and three. Washington State is 0-3. Oh they're winning right now. They're going to win that they're game. They're going to probably win that by like three game. scores. But actually, we should say they blew a game against UCLA where they were up by more. So <laughs> that's, who knows? Very, that's very true. Don't but get ahead of ourselves. Essentially, Oregon has to lose four times. The rest of the way, and any somebody else in this conference has, has to win out. Has to win out to to overcome Oregon. And Oregon has a conference game against Washington State next week at home. They go to USC in two weeks at uh, and on the road, and then they have a bye week, I believe. And then they play Arizona at home, and then they play Arizona State on the road, and then they have Oregon State. Arizona and Oregon State are two of the worst teams. In the conference, Washington State has record-wise is the worst. Record-wise, the worst rec- record in the Pac-12 North and in, and in the conference. They haven't won a conference game until today, until but they'll probably win. Probably gonna win. And they have the worst defense. So you have those three games. You have to win two. I think you have to win one. Two. You have to win two. You have to win two, and that essentially makes it impossible for Oregon to lose the Pac-12 North. I'll simplify this: if they beat Washington State next week. Yes, basically over. It's over. It's basically over. So it's, I mean, how weird is it that Oregon can basically clinch the division by mid-October, like last weekend of October? I did not, that was, I didn't have that one on my bingo board, my bingo card. I did not expect that one coming. No, I, I I mean, I thought this was going to be a pretty hard-fought conference race, and, and the fact that we have a team, you know, in Oregon, the one we cover, that is in impeccable positioning right now and really just has to... I asked Cyrus about it, you know, in the post game, and he said last year we had to fight adversity. Now we have to fight success in yes. terms of just keeping your mind focused, and you have to pound. He said you have to pound that over and over again that we've accomplished a lot, but it doesn't mean anything if we just fall apart. And so I think the mindset's right. I, you check the story up on DuckTard.com that I have with Cyrus. He has some great quotes, and I think you kind of learn about the kind of high character, high caliber guy he is in that story. Um, but He's right. I mean, Oregon is in such a great spot right now that they'd have to totally face plant over and over again. I mean, they have to lose, what, three games at Austin? Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. They'd have, yeah, that's not going to happen. So Oregon is... The team that they have to play, it's, it's just... I mean, look, we have the luxury because we're reporters. We're not part of the team. We can overlook teams. and Or we can assume things. Yeah. And the reality is, is they've, they've got these games in which they are, they are by and far going to be the heavy favorite to win the Pac-12 North. And you now have an opportunity to essentially put yourself in a one-game playoff to get into the Rose Bowl. One, one last thought here is that Oregon is 12th right now. I'm going to guess there's a couple teams ahead of them that lost. They'll probably jump to around 10. 
do we feel now that or they're in the playoffs? I, was say, I think you kind of you can warm up that that playoff discussion a little bit more. I think it's still a long shot. You still have to have a lot of things happen. But yes, Oregon got over that that first big hurdle and is now positioning itself at least to if they, hey if they went out from here. They're going to be at least considered, and especially with the way Utah's looking. Utah's been almost just as dominant besides that loss at, at USC, and, and if those teams meet in the conference championship game, that would be a win that would actually carry a lot of weight, especially if Utah keeps playing like they are. You've got, while we're recording this right now, Washington, uh, Michigan and Penn State are playing each other. Michigan is down by 14 at the half. Maybe they come back and surprise some people and upset Penn State. Um, but we already have some outcomes today that are going to impact the polls a little bit. And Oregon's probably going to move up some. I mean, Florida really struggled against a bad South Carolina team and won 38-27. Uh, they needed a 21-point fourth quarter to win that football game. Kentucky uh, gave Georgia fits, and the Bulldogs, after lo- losing to South Carolina last almost week, almost lost again. Almost, you know, I don't know if they almost lost, but uh, it, was t- it was tied at halftime 0-0 zero to zero in that football game. And Georgia finally scored 21 unanswered points to win that one. They didn't look good at all. Uh, and then you've also got some uh, some upsets. Illinois upset number six Wisconsin today, 24-23. So, and then you, you factor in the fact that Washington is ranked going into this week. This is a hostile environment. I think nationally people respect these two programs. Televised game yep. at, in primetime almost. And so Oregon's going to move up. And, yeah, you're right. They They probably still need a lot of help. A ton of help, I think. But they're still, but they're now officially in that discussion. They've got a signature win uh, against the Huskies. You've got a top, probably a top eleven, top ten type ranking. Uh, your one loss is to an Auburn team that's eleventh in the country. They won today, so you know they become uh, bowl eligible, and they're still in the picture. And you know, Oregon's. Oregon's doing what they need to do, and they're slowly getting a little bit of help here and there to piece themselves. I know I said discussion. one more thing before, but I have one last thing. No. Is, okay. All right. Well, turn, well podcast is ending. No. Uh, <laughs> but the one last thing I just had was that how much now – I know that Auburn loss has hurt the entire season, but I think the fact that what Oregon has done since winning six straight games, the, the way that game – that was a game that was very, very winnable – if they had won that game, Oregon's oh probably God. in the top five right now, and things feel completely differently. And so I know you don't want to like sit and linger on. I know the teams, I'm sure, moved completely past them. Fans, fans like probably haven't as much, but um, that one I think lingers a little bit more in your mind after a win like this against Washington, just because you recognize that if Oregon was seven and zero right now, they'd be in very strong positioning. And with the momentum they have, you'd really start to taste the possibility of playing in the playoff. That's where it is. Uh, we've it, it, they're in the discussion of possibly the discussion. getting back into it, and we could go round and round and round about the possibilities of it happening. The reality is this: is that they're going to be at least discussed as a possible team if they can make it. Not saying that they are, but saying that the chances are good or even average. You know. 50-50. Right. You know, but they're back into that discussion now, and the ball is in their court to win the Pac-12 North. And look, that's the reality. That's what you want to focus. Once you lost to UW, uh, once you lost to Auburn Week One, the goal was figure out a way to get to the Pac-12 North Championship, and that puts you in a position or a one-game playoff to get to the Rose Bowl at, at worst. Mm-hmm. At worst, your case is the Rose Bowl. Oregon has now essentially assured that they're going to be playing in a one-game playoff for a spot mm-hmm. in the Rose Bowl. And yeah. I think if you told Oregon fans that, they would take that in a heartbeat, especially knowing that they have a signature win against the Washington Huskies 
at their place, 35-31. Ducks now have won 14 of the last 16 games between these two teams. Uh, for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Frame, thanks for listening to a post-game edition of the Odds and Audibles podcast. Adios, amigos. Don't pick it up like that.